This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome to the club! Well, for the last two episodes, we've been reading about this concept of ritual purity. What does that mean? First, we discussed the ritual purity that came from eating or touching animals. And then we talked about the ritual purity for childbirth, mold, a whole lot of skin diseases. And here's what I've decided (laughs) after last episode. These priests were multi-talented men. I am telling you, they had to have a medical degree. They were diagnosing all these rashes. They were basically general contractors because they were going and checking out the mold in all these houses. And there was one more. Oh, and then they were so fastidious. Like they could not, they got burned if they just left out one little rule when ministering in worship. So they were law. They had a law degree because they had to know all the rules and and be quick on their feet. And they had to be master chefs because they were cutting up and grilling (laughs) all the time. These were really talented guys. So I don't know if they kind of had specific... A line like you're the butchers. These are the butchers, even though they're priests. And then they had different ones that were the Probably. medics. I don't know how or they did it, or if like, they were just like you know resident interns that you got the which call it shift. <laughs> You've got three months in butchering. I tell you what, <laughs> three I don't months know of which diseases. One I, I don't know which one exactly I would rather do, but I think I'd rather go and you know check out the houses than have to di- diagnose all of those rashes that oh, yeah, seems I don't know. kind of gross. But anyway, neither here nor there. The point is there were a lot of laws about what was clean and unclean and how to get clean if you were unclean. And thank the good Lord, we have Jesus who <laughs> delivered us from all of this. However, this is what they were under back in the times of Leviticus. And it, here we find ourselves. Here we find ourselves just to recap and set up for this final set of purity laws. The purpose of the purity laws was to teach the Israelites how to be holy as God is holy. That's it. Why? So God could reside among them in the tabernacle and be in relationship with them. Both the tabernacle and the people who lived around the tabernacle had to be holy for God to dwell in their midst or, you know, in the middle of the camp is where it was set up. It was a two for one deal. The people and the place have to be holy for this one holy God. These purity laws set forth by God through Moses here in Leviticus were the only way to holiness from 1445 BC to 70 AD. That's a whole lot of trying to be holy. It's over 1,500 years. The Jews adhered to these purity laws, like I said, for 1,500 years until the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But for the Christian, there was a new deal, a new covenant in the New Testament, where we learn from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We are in the age of a two-in-one where we are the two-in-one. We are God's people and his holy temple. Are you tracking with me on that? I am. God resides in us. Correct. And we are holy for one reason only, because Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. His blood cleanses once and for all. It is the ultimate cleanse for eternity. And that's the title for today. The ultimate cleanse then and now. And I am thankful I live in the now, like we said. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> We sure. don't want to be studying that. Okay. Ritual purity. These are laws 
for purity for the people, we have one more type of ritual purity for people left. Purity laws for bodily fluids, of which there are two kinds, those that happen from disease and those that occur from sex or from menstruation. Now, only body fluids from disease required a sacrificial offering. But both types required bathing. Fortunately, none required examination from those priests. (laughs) They got a a pass on this one. That might have been a good day when they got put on this duty. I don't know. (laughs) That would have put the priests into serious overtime and the people into a lot of humiliation. The two types of bodily fluids for both males and females are arranged in another simple chiasm. We have discussed chiasms in other episodes as they were used often in the Bible. A chiasm is a literary sequence of ideas that turns and repeats in reverse order. So kind of like a pyramid. It goes up and then it goes down. I think it was used often back then as it was helpful for memorizing the order of content. Remember, they didn't have all these books where laws were written down. So they had to memorize it or you would definitely get in trouble. In this episode, the chiasm we are going to read goes like this. First, we have abnormal male discharges. Then we have normal male discharges. Then right in the middle, verse 18, is the chiastic turn that links the male and female, and it talks about sex with the male and the female. Then we go to normal female discharges, and then we end with abnormal female discharges. So that's this our This is outline. the episode where we're getting real, y'all. <laughs> we're going to get real. Sorry. Not sorry. So... Check this out. Why are body fluids related to reproduction unclean? Why would this be unclean at all? Okay. In the beginning, God created the world without pain and death, remember? We were made in the image of God, and therefore we were designed to continue the process of creation. Before the fall in Genesis 1:28, it proves this. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So we know somehow they were going to procreate. What the procreation of little humans should have looked like is a bit of a mystery. You mean before the fall? Right, before the fall. We don't know what it would have looked like because it never happened. One thing we know for sure is that it would not have included pain and suffering. Because after the fall in Genesis 3.16, Eve's consequence for disobedience is to the woman God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. So the blessing of children, like everything else, is now fraught with the painful results of our immortality. Life was linked to death. We are still going to procreate after the fall, but it's we're going to also die. So there's now this circle. And death is unholy and cannot be in the same realm as God. Therefore, all that is related to death, in this case, the loss of body fluids, is unclean. That included the loss of life liquids, like semen for men, which is the first step in producing human life, and menstrual blood for women, the potential for nurturing human life. And that is why body fluids are unclean or impure to God, even though sex and procreation are good. Did you get, did you get that? that was- <laughs> I did. I'm just, yeah, like you wondering how would it have worked I know. before. And also, I think it would have gotten very 
crowded around here if we hadn't had to die? Because if he told them to fill the earth, Mm -hmm. don't you think at some point it would get filled up? I don't know. I don't know. Again, we don't know what the original plan was. But we do know in the end, we're going to go to a new heaven and new earth. And so maybe the earth never would have been filled up. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Questions for God when we get there. Exactly. We're going to know one day. Just like why doesn't broccoli taste like chocolate? Exactly. Okay. So now that you understand why these bodily fluids were unclean, let's start in chapter 15, the beginning of our chiasm with abnormal male discharge. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such a discharge is unclean. Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how his discharge will bring about uncleanliness. Any bed the man with a discharge lies on will be unclean and anything he sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches his bed must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whoever sits on anything that the man with a discharge sat on must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whoever touches the man who has a discharge must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. If the man with a discharge spits on anyone who is clean, they must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening." Everything the man sits on when riding will be unclean, and whoever touches any of the things that were under him will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up those things must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Anyone the man with the discharge touches without rinsing his hands with water must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. A clay pot that the man touches must be broken, and any wooden article is to be rinsed with water. When a man is cleansed from this discharge, he is to count off seven days for his ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes, bathe himself with fresh water, and he will be clean. On the eighth day, he must take two doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance to the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them the one for the sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. It is thought that this disease was probably a type of gonorrhea, not the type that is present today, which is more recent origin. This type of discharge has the longest instructions because it was the most contagious and because it was contagious, had a greater chance of spreading and defiling the tabernacle. And this sacrifice required just two birds, suggesting that it was a minor impurity. Okay, here we have the normal male discharge. Verse 16, when a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and he will be unclean till evening. Any clothing or leather that has semen on it must be washed with water and it will be unclean till evening. Okay, short and sweet. Love it. Semen is a body fluid and a part of normal life. It is unclean, but not contagious. That's why there's not a lot of rules. The law was simply bathe and stay away from the tabernacle until evening. Well, that's kind of weird. It's not contagious. Why do they have to stay away? Why? Because at the time, many of the surrounding nations practiced sexual cult rituals. 
we will read about male shrine prostitutes when Israel reaches Canaan in 1 Kings. This law that they have to stay away until evening kept sex and the worship of God in the tabernacle totally separate. You could not even go near the tabernacle for a day if you'd had sex. I thought that was brilliant because it is a problem later. Next is verse 18, which I mentioned is the turn in archaism. And we're going to move from men to women. But in this verse, it's going to talk about both of them. Verse 18, when a man has sexual relations with a woman and there is an omission of semen, both of them must bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. Okay, short and sweet again. This is the transition of archaism. It's the joining of man and woman for the purpose of reproduction. The order also points to creation. Reproduction is addressed for the man who is created by God first and then for the woman. Note, the impurity caused by sexual relation is not sin. It is a good thing for the growing nation of Israel. Part of Israel's promise is that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And note, for both the male and the female, no sacrificial offering is necessary. However, sex is not going to become something either a male or female do at the tabernacle. So both have to stay away for a day. I have to wonder in daily life if having sex might have become a great excuse for a lot of teasing. Like newlyweds would surely be missed at worship for weeks if they had to stay away from the tabernacle. Like they get married and then they don't show up to worship for like three months. Oh, where have you guys been? What have you been doing? In my husband's family, they don't eat. They don't ask the newlyweds to bring food to any like potluck thing for the first year because of that reason. (laughs) They're too busy. Oh, well. All right. Next, the chiasm turns. And in reverse, we read the laws for the normal female discharge first. Verse 19. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they will be unclean till evening. If a man has sexual relations with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. The loss of blood was one of the most ritually defiling bodily fluids, but it was not a sin. This was normal. The menstrual cycle would have rendered a woman unclean often, but perhaps not as often as today because women married young and had as many children as they could. Therefore, for the most part, a woman would be either pregnant or nursing and of course not menstruating for several years with each child because they would have nursed into toddlerhood. Additionally, it is believed that the onset of menstruation was later than today and that the termination at menopause earlier than, than today. And both of those are due to our nice, rich diet. Fortunately, and we can be unhappy about that rich diet because I would have liked to have my period for last time. Fortunately, the laws did not prohibit contact with menstruation. You were not forced outside the camp. It just meant that contact rendered the family or the person who touched them unclean till evening. 
I mean, this is really placing a lot of trust in people. Mm-hmm. Imagine like trust. today you get COVID, somebody in your house gets COVID and you quarantine. It's right. basically like quarantining because Correct. the woman in the house or is on her monthly period. I Again, I can see the kids using this as a great excuse. Sorry, dad. I accidentally touched mom. Can't go to worship. I am unclean. <laughs> Gotta stay home. Well, really, nobody could go to worship in the house. Well, if they didn't touch her. So lastly, and I really like this one. It is thought that these laws provided women a socially acceptable way of withdrawing to rest and recuperate from menstrual pain or discomfort. Think about it. There was no Advil or any other kind of medication. And yuck, no hygiene products. So having your period would have been much more challenging than today. With this law, the women had a nice excuse to say, sorry, honey, you have to take the kids. I have to stay in my room. Well, don't you think they probably had some kind of like natural things that they could take, like herbs and different kind of tinctures they would make and stuff? I I am sure they had something to help. But remember, these people just escaped from Egypt and are in the desert for the first year. And so I don't think they had a storehouse of stuff. No. And, you know, even back then, how many tinctures did they really have? It's not like you could import things from all over the world. Right. They would have to grow it and then cultivate it. They haven't really started growing anything, I don't think. They've been in Mount Sinai, camped out there for a year. Yeah. So I just think back then, um, women suffered a little more. Everybody suffered a little more. And they were used to it. They probably had a higher pain tolerance than we do. All right. Abnormal female discharge. Verse 25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that, she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanliness of her discharge. The female abnormal discharge required an offering that is the same as was for the male abnormal discharge. It was a small one as this is a minor impurity. Remember that the sin offering, which we've covered in I can't remember which episode, is also called the purification offering, which makes more sense. It was an abnormal disease, not a sin. There are multiple diseases that could cause abnormal bleeding in a woman, including cancer, menopause, infections. We just don't know. If such bleeding continued, though, it would have been really difficult medically, emotionally, and spiritually for a woman. She would have been unclean with no hope of a cure, somewhat cut off, except for those who could take a day off to be unclean, too, you know, because if if they came in contact with her, they were unclean. So she wasn't kicked out of the camp. It wasn't like leprosy where, like, no, you can't touch her. People could make the conscious decision to say, oh, I'm going to go visit with so-and-so and I'm going to be unclean but no big deal. And like you said, it could be a great excuse to not have to go to church that day. Exactly. Not that we're we're not advocating for making excuses to not go to church, but that's what they could have done. Exactly. But she would have, the woman bleeding, would have been, you know, cut off from worship in the tabernacle. 
struggle. And that would have felt like you were out of communion with God. Perhaps that is why the recorded miracles of Jesus, one of them was of a woman who suffered from abnormal bleeding. Jesus demonstrated such compassion for women who were cursed in a painful way by the fall and could not help it. This miracle is recorded in Matthew, Luke, and in Mark here, chapter 5, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She said, He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I really um, love this story. I think it's sweet and stepping inside her life. Can you imagine having to explain to everyone you know for 12 years that you shouldn't be touched unless they were okay with being unclean too? I mean, think about it. Let's say this was a menopause situation or something. She probably had teenagers or like really active age kids and she couldn't go watch what they did because she had to walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Think about her husband, no sex. She's unclean. 12 years. Well, and also, isn't it by going even to this event where he was, she's creating a situation where all those people at that event were now unclean? No, she's desperate. She's really desperate. And it says that she trembled with fear. And her fear came from the fact that she was unclean and should not have touched anyone let alone a holy man, because she could have, like, let's say if he had been kind of a rabbi, he would have gone to the tabernacle and then she would have inadvertently, you know, made him create the whole, right, the whole tabernacle unclean, which is probably why she just tried to touch his cloak. If I just touch like a thread of something he's on, surely that would not make him unclean, but maybe free me from this disease. Mm -hmm. And her faith in Jesus was so great that she believed just touching his clothing would be enough. And so she took the risk. It was enough. And she was made clean. The note for us is this. This story teaches us that faith in Jesus's power is the starting point for cleansing. We must take the risk of believing in someone, a savior that we cannot see or touch and to know that he is true. It's hard, but she had that kind of faith. I just hope we're desperate enough to believe, you know, it's hard to be that desperate today. All right, here is our conclusion for bodily discharges. Verse 31, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanliness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. These are the regulations for a man with a discharge, for anyone made unclean by an emission of semen, for a woman in her monthly period, for a man or a woman with a discharge, and for a man who has sexual relations with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. 
And there you have it, all of the ritual impurity laws, all of the laws so that Israel could be holy as God is holy. Why? So that they could have God's presence in the tabernacle. It was the Israelites' way to an impurity detox, the ultimate cleanse for their plethora of impurities. But these rules are no more. How can we possibly live in the presence of a God so holy that anything impure or related to death is intolerable for him? What is the ultimate New Testament impurity cleanse? The New Testament provides a new covenant cleanse, a new covenant cleanse with a different water. Throughout the impurity laws we just covered is a common phrase, bathe with water, bathe with water. We just read it a dozen times, bathe with water. In Ephesians 5, water is used to symbolize the word of God. It says this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, dot, 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 because I skipped a bunch in there all about wives and husbands. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We read that Ephesians 5 all the time for weddings, for marriage. But what God is really talking about here, this profound mystery, is about Christ and the church. Jesus' goal was to purify and save the church, to make us holy with the washing through the word. And who is the word? Jesus. The Bible says in the book of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is the ultimate cleanse. He is the word that washes us once and for all so that we can be set free from death, made clean, and no longer separated from the presence of God, not just for a day like the Leviticus sacrifices. The new covenant cleanse is for eternity. Revelations 22.14 says this. Now track with me here, people, because I'm going to pull something together that um, I think is kind of cool. Revelations 22.14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Revelations 22 is the last chapter of the entire Bible. We will get there one day. And this is the last blessing Christ speaks, period, to us that has been written down. This blessing came from speaking from heaven. The most well-known blessings are those Jesus spoke at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. You all know them. So let's compare Jesus's first blessing on the Mount with this last one from heaven. The first blessing that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount started with, blessed are the poor in spirit, compared to the beginning of the blessing in Revelations, which says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Let me tell you something. Those who are poor in spirit are those who realize that they are sinners. And because of that, they yearn, their heart yearns to be washed. They're the ones who wash their robes because they're poor in spirit. And then guess what? Note, the blessed who wash their robes have to do it themselves. 
no one can do it for you. And only those humble enough to realize their sinful state of needing to wash make that choice. All right, let's move to the last part of both of these blessings. The last part of the first one in Matthew is this. So it was beginning was blessed with the poor in spirit. And then it'll say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the Matthew blessing. Compared to the last part of the Revelations blessing, which says that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. How amazing is it that this very last page of Revelations points back to the very first page of Genesis? The garden in Genesis had at its center the tree of life, which is eternal life, that Adam and Eve could eat of forever if they had not eaten from the other tree. But they did. And the kingdom of heaven that Matthew mentioned in the first blessing was lost to them. But here on the last page of the Bible, Jesus elaborates on that very first blessing he gave at the Sermon on the Mount, the access to the kingdom of heaven. We will have the right to have back what we lost in the fall, the access to the tree of life and our ticket to gain entrance at the gates to the city where we will live as holy people in the presence of our holy God forever. Did you get that? (laughs) Heather's iffy. Okay, where did I lose you? You're not really losing me. It's just a lot. It is a lot. Well, so my whole point is that in the first blessing and the last blessing, Jesus is basically saying the same thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because those are going. Those are the people who are going to wash their robes. It's a choice they have to make. You got to be poor in spirit to want to be cleansed. They're going to do it, and they're going to get the kingdom of heaven, which is also access to that tree of life and the gates into the city of the kingdom of heaven. It's all one. It's all the same thing. At the very last part of Revelations, he's pointing back to the very beginning to what we lost. And that's what we've been studying this whole time, is that everything, God's entire plan throughout the whole Bible, is to give us back what we lost, to bring us back into that perfect relationship where we don't need the tabernacle anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. I just think it's super cool that his last blessing is basically the same as his first blessing. It's what he was all about from the beginning of his life to the very last words he spoke from Revelations that we've written down. That I liked. I just think it's really cool that everything always ties together in the Bible, always, in so many ways. And the more I study it, I just keep finding new ones. It's never ending. All right. This new covenant cleanse in the New Testament is more efficient, more powerful, and of course, everlasting. It is a full body detox that doesn't just cleanse your external body one time. It cleanses you on the inside. It cleanses your, your favorite word, Heather. Your heart. Your heart. It rejuvenates you, body, and soul to the point that eventually your body will be transformed and your soul lives forever. Philippians 3 says this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's a full body detox. In Hebrews, Paul invites the Jews who were still living under the old purity laws to join him in this new covenant. Listen really hard right now to these familiar words in light of all we now know about Leviticus, the tabernacle, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. Remember, this is Paul, a Jew, inviting other Jews to understand this new covenant. Hebrews 10 verse 19. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Did you get that? The most holy place, which was the tabernacle, is no longer. The curtain, which separated them from the holy place, which has been rent in two by Jesus. A great high priest who was Aaron, now Jesus, our hearts sprinkled to cleanse. No more sprinkling the blood of animals all over. Our hearts have been sprinkled now and our bodies washed with pure water. We're no longer impure. We have that pure water that flows from Jesus. And that for me is the Bible bender. All those points that you just made there in Hebrews is the Bible bender because we've talked about before how all these Jews, they would have studied all of these words in Leviticus. It would have been the first book they studied, not like us, the last one we studied. Right. <laughs> they knew the law and they would have known exactly what Paul was saying when he wrote those letters to them. Exactly. He was pointing them to Leviticus and saying, you don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. It would have been such an aha moment for them. Yeah, just like it is for us today. Mm-hmm. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.